0: Amen. Let's take our Bibles. This morning, please turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 this morning, and I've been kind of working my way personally through the book of Mark, as you know, and looking at the other Gospels with it to get the full picture of what the Lord is trying to say to us. And uh, by the way, the Lord is never trying to do anything. He just does it. We're just kind of hard of hearing sometimes. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, let's look there this morning. I wouldn't normally give you an announcement this time of the service, but I, I'm, I'm going to be in the baptistry tank at the end, and so I'd like to give you uh, just a, a one or two announcements very quickly. Don't forget, next week we start our missions conference. Saturday night, all right? A little bit different. Saturday night at 6 o'clock. And we're going to have all the missionaries set up their displays in the gym. We're going to meet in the church, and each of them will present their ministry that night. We'll just take some time, 15 minutes each, present their ministry. Pastor Strachan will share a short uh, missions challenge that night. And then we'll make our way to the gym, and we'll have a pie fellowship while you're visiting with the missionaries, looking at their displays, and getting to know them a little bit. And so if you can have a piece of pie, I, I think fellowship's always better with pie. That's just what I think. So we're going to do that. And then on Sunday, Sunday morning, we'll have all the adult classes in the auditorium together, and Pastor Strachan will be preaching to us here. The teens will have a missionary in the teen class, and then the children, the two children's classes will come together, and they'll have a missionary as well, and then we'll have another missionary, our third third and final missionary, will teach the junior church hour. So we'll all get exposed to different missionaries that week, and so we're looking forward to that. So that's Sunday morning at 945 Sunday School, 1030 morning service, and then Sunday night at 5 o'clock, Pastor Harry Strachan Jr. will be preaching all three of those services. So we're looking forward to a great time. And then the following Wednesday, it's so quick, it comes upon us. I believe it's the 26th is the date, the Wednesday night. Uh, We have a group coming from West Coast Baptist College. They're coming in for the uh, youth conference in Barrie. And so they're coming a day early. They're going to stay with us uh, here in uh, Simcoe. And on Wednesday night, they're going to do some music for us. And then they're going to preach. And so we'll have all the Master Club's kids in here as well. And so adults, I, w- I want you to know that we want you to come. It's not just a kid's program. You'll enjoy the, the four-part harmonies and the music. It's good music. And then we'll have a message from the Word of God that night. And uh, I, will, I will admit it'll be a gospel-centered message that the kids would understand and hear. But hey, tell me the old, old story. Just say it again, and again, and again, and and it's so good uh, to hear again, and again, that Jesus loves me, and Jesus saves, and so uh, you come on that Wednesday night, the 26th, and we're looking forward uh, to a great night in the house of God. Mark chapter 6 tonight, Mark chapter 6 tonight, young lady, where is Jessica, Jessica, where are you, Boonstra, over here, okay, are you okay if I share a little bit of the testimony how you got saved, that'd be okay, and so... I'm going to tell it now because if I get blubbering, I won't be in the baptistry doing that. So um, the last night of revival, or one of the nights, I think it was the last night of revival, uh, the preacher preached, Brother Calvin Allen preached, and and Jessica went home. And uh, God was stirring her heart, and uh, she couldn't speak, I guess. And her mom says, do you need to say something? And she says, You need to get saved, don't you? Her mom, the Holy Spirit kind of told her mom that just had that perception that you need to get saved. And so her brother, I'm not sure which brother, but drove her back to the church and knocked on our door. And I was in a meeting with somebody. And my wife was in the meeting. And uh, Jessica knocked on the door. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Jessica, my wife was a little put off. She thought, Why is she being rude? <laughs> Knocking on the door. And I said, It's okay, hon. Go ahead and go talk to Jessica. And Jessica got saved. And uh, praise the Lord. And uh, here's here's what scares me, folks. Here's what scares me. Um, You would be hard pressed to find a better young lady than Jessica. And yet she says, "I didn't know the Lord." Young people, you can fool a lot of people. But you must be born again. Don't miss. Don't miss out on that simple message. Don't let your pride keep you from accepting Christ. And so that's my message for today. No, it's not. Sorry, don't leave. That's a message for today. I, I hear Bibles zipping up already. And Mark chapter 6. Let's look there this morning. I won't keep you too long. And uh, let's, let's look at the word of God today. Mark chapter 6. I heard somebody shout amen. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to give you a little background because I want to read a section of this scripture. But I want to give you some context first. In the, in the book of Mark, as we have read so far, the, the disciples have already been traveling with Christ for some time. It's been a little while now and and the Lord is becoming very popular and I and I don't mean that in the sense of a of a movie star or a rock singer of some sort of this world but that literally commentators for years have called it the year of popularity And people were pressing him within the cities, and he was having to move out into the desert places to meet with people. And we see in Mark chapter 1, his ministry starts very quickly. And if you were to go back, and let me challenge you to do this, read Mark chapter 1, there are a few miracles that are highlighted there, but if you read very carefully, you will find, and I think it's very easy to get to this number, hundreds of people being helped by Jesus. The Bible says multitudes came to him and were healed of diverse diseases and others had evil spirits cast out from among them and you just see his ministries exploding in Mark chapter 1 and we read about the man with the withered hand. Jesus would travel to the next town and enter into the synagogue and the man with the withered hand is healed. We see the story of the man that was paralytic and he was let down through the roof by his four friends and the Lord Jesus Christ first forgave him of his sins and then he healed him and he said, rise up. And walk. We read of miracle after miracle. We read of the stories of the demons being cast out. We read of Simon Peter's mother in mother-in-law in Capernaum being healed of a fever. And on and on they have seen the Lord Jesus Christ work. As a matter of fact, they themselves have been sent out now. The disciples, the twelve, have been sent out, and we'll read about that in just a moment. And the Lord Jesus Christ now beckons them to rest. So look, if you will, in Mark chapter 6, and look at verse 7 with me. We're going to read just a little bit here. Let's do this. You found your spot? Let's have a word of prayer so I can just keep going, okay? Father, we need you. That's why we pray. We come to you, Lord, pleading with you to help us today, to speak to our hearts. Lord, make no mistake about it. We are frail and feeble as dust, as the song sang this morning. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to realize how needy we are of Almighty God. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. May the Spirit of God help us today. Remind us of some things, we pray. And Lord, I I surrender to you. I need your help. And I pray that you would uh, fill me with thy Holy Spirit as I surrender to thee. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Direct your attention, if you would, to Mark chapter 6 and look at verse 7 with me. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse. But he shod with sandals and, uh, but shod with sandals and not put two co- on two coats and he said unto them, in what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust from under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick. And healed them, and so the disciples received this commission and they are sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says they healed the sick and they, they, uh, they cast out demons and they anointed people with oil and, and the Bible says the purpose was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. they preached a message of repentance. Now look down to verse 30 if you will, as the disciples return. and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and went them, and came together unto him." The disciples have returned from this missionary journey, if you will, and they're reporting to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I I like that we might take notice this morning that when we are ministers of the gospel, whether you are a soul winner or you're preaching or teaching in a Sunday school class, or you're ministering the word in some ways, listen, don't ever forget, you are accountable to Jesus. You will stand before God one day and give an account for those things which are done in your body, especially as we minister the word of God. The Bible gives a great command at the end of the Bible that if we were to add anything to the scriptures, that the plagues of this book were to be added to us. And if we were to take anything from the scriptures, our name would be taken out of the book of life. God takes his word very seriously. And the Bible says the apostles came back and they give account of all that they did and what they taught. It's important that we're accountable to the Lord. The Lord Noticed in their lives that it was a very busy ministry of season season of ministry. The Bible says they were coming and going so much that they didn't even have leisure to eat. Now, listen, it's not wrong to take times of rest, it's necessary. God commanded that the seventh day was set aside for rest. But listen, it's good to be busy in the ministry. When you are doing the Lord's work, it ought to be a busy time. The Bible says they were so busy they didn't have leisure to eat. And and somebody has said this, that the very scourge of ministry is laziness. We ought to be busy about the Lord's work. And the Lord recognized in the life of the apostles that they were tired. They had come through this very busy ministry and the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere he went was being thronged by the masses and helping and healing and now the disciples went out and they realized a similar type of ministry that wherever they went two by two they were being thronged by the people and they were performing works in ministry and not only that they didn't jump on an airplane or ride on a subway or take a bus. They had to walk everywhere they went and they were hot and they were tired The Lord said to them, I want you to come apart and rest a while. Come apart and rest a while. I want you to understand that by way of context this morning, that that passage is very, very important to the rest of the message. I want you to tuck that away that the disciples were tired. The Lord Jesus Christ recognized it. And he invited them and beckoned them to rest. Now, look at verse 34, and we're going to read a chunk now. The Bible says in verse 34 And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep at not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So, notice, if you will, just back up a little bit to verse 33. Jesus has invited them apart uh, into a desert place by ship. So they got on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and they were crossing over to a desert place where they might find a place of rest, of solitude. Away from the villages and the towns that surrounded the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee and there they went find some solitude. But notice what it says, But many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities and outwent them. All the cities gathered together in that desert place watching that ship as it crossed the water and they were there waiting for Jesus and the disciples as they crossed the water. There was no rest for the weary. There was no time to take a break from ministry. And the Bible says as Jesus, when he came out, he saw the much people and was moved with compassion because they were as sheep having no shepherd. Verse 35, and when the day was now far spent, some day of rest, Huh? His disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place and now the time is far past. Notice those next three words. Send them away. I'm going to be honest with you. I always kind of felt that that was a practical statement in Scripture. They were just coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, just send them away. We don't have enough food. Uh, the Bible uses the word victuals. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough. We, we have 200 pennyworth is all we have that we can go and buy bread. We don't have anything that we can feed these people. Why don't you send them into the villages and the, and the towns roundabout and let them buy their own food and take care of those things? But my thinking has changed somewhat. Reading the context and knowing that the disciples were being beckoned to rest by the Lord, they were tired from a busy season of ministry, and as soon as they get to the place where they're going to rest, they are thronged by the masses. The Bible says 5,000 men would be fed. How many people were there? I feel when the Bible says, the disciples said, send them away, I think they were frustrated. I think they were tired. And they're saying, Lord, this was supposed to be our day off. And we are just worn out. Lord, just send them away. Let them take care of themselves. You have done enough. Do you get that sense? Kind of feels that way, doesn't it? I mean, I can't be dogmatic, and if you think something different, that's okay. It's not the principle I'm going to try to give you this morning. But I just feel like trying to paint a picture for you this morning that they were just frustrated. They were tired. Maybe you've taught a Sunday school class or you worked in the bus ministry, and you've, you've said what I've heard somebody say before ministry would be great if it weren't for people. But if it weren't for people, there'd be no ministry, there'd be none to help. The Bible talks about, come unto me, me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those are the ones that need the ministry. Those are the ones that need the help. Those are burdened. We are all burdened today. We're burdened by sin. We're burdened by sorrow. We're burdened by the cares of this world, and we must meet with the Lord regularly to find that rest. But notice what it says in verse 36. Verse 36 send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered them and said unto them, Give ye them to eat? And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass, and it, They they sat down in ranks and by hundreds and by fifties. When he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to the heavens and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divide he among them all. And they did all eat, all of them, and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes, and they did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 Men, you all know the story. But look what happens next. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Let's try this again. Let's get in another boat. We've had another busy day of ministry. Let's, let's break away for the night and let's get away somewhere. And perhaps there's more ministry waiting for us on the other side, but at least for the night, we won't be thronged by people and we'll be in this ship. And the Bible says, And when he had sent them away, verse 46, he departed in a mountain to pray. By the way, that's how the Lord always found rest. He prayed. Verse 47. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed that it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Our text for this morning will be these next two verses. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves. Look at those next two words beyond measure, and wondered. For they consider not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Jesus has sent them away again into the ship. And as we know the story, the water began to rise and the wind began to blow. And the storm began to beat vehemently upon those men in that little ship out on the Sea of Galilee. The Lord was not with them. Not on this occasion. He was in a mountain praying. The Bible says he could see them toiling and rowing and he went to them walking on the water. This is a strange story in the, and what I mean by that is only Matthew and John record it. Usually it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke that record similar stories. But in this case, it's Matthew and John. John only says a little bit in passing without much fanfare, likely because he was disappointed at himself for his lack of faith. Matthew records that Peter actually got out of the boat and walked on the water to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we look at the book of Mark this morning, I want you to notice where this phrase is recorded. It's the only time we see it in the scriptures where it says, For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, desire, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they wondered. You know, if we were to read only verse 51... Where the Bible says they were sore amazed in themselves, beyond measure and wondered. I think just at casual glances, as far as a reader is concerned, I would say that's an appropriate response. I mean, God has just come walking on the water to you. And I think I'm going to fall on my face, and I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, this is incredible. Is, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that God cannot do? And, and my eyes would be as big as saucers, and I, I'd be amazed. And the Bible says they were amazed beyond measure. In our English, that sounds reasonable to me. But when the Lord Jesus Christ is noticing their amazement, when it says beyond measure, it's actually a chastisement. He's saying, you guys are getting too worked up about this. In other words, they had adoration, but they did not have expectation. It was like they'd met the Lord for the first time in that boat. They see him walking on the water, and all of a sudden, they're amazed all over again that, oh, look, what this this truly is the Son of God. I can't believe what, and Jesus is saying, wait a minute, what do you mean you can't believe it? Haven't I proven to you over and over and over and over that I am God? Didn't you see me heal the leper, the man with the withered hand? Peter, what about your mother-in-law? I have done miracle after miracle. I have cast demons. When they returned, the scriptures record in the book of John, that, that, that Peter would say, even the devils are subject under thy name. What is wrong? but they were sore amazed beyond measure. I look at it as an appropriate response. But the Lord was disappointed because the Bible says in verse 52, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. The reaction was not of appreciation and reverence for who Christ is, but rather one of shock. Listen, I want the Lord to work each and every day in Bethel Baptist Church. I I love to hear the stories of miracles. And we ought to worship and we ought to praise and we ought to give thanks. But listen, listen to me. We ought never be surprised at what God is able to do. We ought never be surprised. Years ago, when the kids were little, we had a missionary come. And we were at Swish L.A. We took him out to Swish L.A. in Hamilton. And Austin was probably three years old. And he just took to this missionary. I can't remember who it was. I I know who it was. It was Stu Scapers down in Dominican. Now he's in the States, a Spanish church. And he just took to him. And he had little kids and he had a little girl. And I think that was part of it. And uh, and so he kind of took to him. And we were out having lunch. And uh, Brother Stu, he took his straw, and he put a little vinegar on the end. He was just playing with Austin. He says, Austin, try this. And he tasted that vinegar and screwed up his face, and boy, he didn't like that. Two minutes later, he went and did it again. And he says, here, Austin, try this. And Austin was so trusting that he just did it again. And he up. and then a third time, and then a fourth time, and then a fifth, I mean, he just kept doing it. And and Brother Stewart's just like, I wonder how long it's going to take before he realizes that I'm messing with him. And we realized a principle that day. When you trust somebody, when you trust somebody, you'll welcome whatever they're doing in your life. The problem is with the disciples is they were surprised because they didn't truly trust yet. And though they had seen the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, the Bible says they considered it not. You said, well, how does that happen? How does that take place? I mean, God had been telling us for, for eons that he was almighty and all-powerful. He said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? When the angel announced to Mary that she was carrying a child, though she was a virgin, he said this, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Jeremiah the prophet would, would talk to God and he, and he said this about the Lord. Ah Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm and there is nothing too hard for thee. And God replied to Jeremiah, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The Jewish people knew that God could do anything. But here they were surprised and shocked once again, that God in the flesh was doing another miracle. You know, I fear sometimes we're like that. What are the implications of all this? Let me ask you this. How can we truly worship God if we don't know who he is? If we don't have an awe and reverence for his power, for his knowledge, his wisdom, for his word, How can we truly fall at the feet of one when we don't really appreciate what he's doing in our lives? Let me ask you this. Let me just throw a test question out. You don't raise your hand. It's between you and the Lord. When was the last time you just simply thanked the Lord for saving your soul? Had a little time of praise. When was the last time you were reading your Bible and you were overwhelmed in your heart and tears came to your eyes? We forget so quickly what the Lord has done for us. I see two things in the scripture this morning I want to bring out by way of principles for you. You say, how does that happen? You know, I've seen the faces of some. Somebody will get saved and half the church is excited and the other half is like, okay, yeah, great. That's the business of the church. Here we go again. Another baptism? Oh, man, it's lunchtime. Pastor, come on speed it up and I, and I i get it but listen notice what the scripture says number 1 how does this happen when the work of god becomes commonplace when the work of god becomes commonplace now don't take that word i use out of context I want the work of God to be commonplace in the sense that it happens regularly. But the disciples, it had become commonplace as in ho-hum, just another miracle. They considered not the work of the loaves and the fishes. They didn't take time to count their blessings. They didn't consider and think about this. It was the 12 that were handing out the fish and it was the 12 that were handing out the bread and they would go back and God gave them each a basket and they would fill that basket full from those five loaves and those two fishes. They would, they would come back each carrying a basket full of the fragments, full of food after 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, had feasted and were filled. They were actively involved in the miracle. And they were yawning. They were bored. Can I say to you that sometimes we are actively involved in miracles and don't even know it? You say, you don't understand, preacher. I've been driving that bus for 20 years and I'm tired. How do you know that you're not actively involved in a miracle? How do you know there's not some bus kid that got saved along the way and now they're a mom and they're bringing their kid to church and that kid might get saved. You never know. We heard the testimony at Revival about Maria, how 25 years ago, Brother Hilton and his wife witnessed to this Jehovah Witness lady and she, she pushed them away and didn't want anything to do with them. But 25 years later, here she is having trusted Christ, baptized and a member of the church. Her life and family completely changed by the grace of God. You never know when you're actively involved in a miracle. And those, those disciples, maybe when they bowed their head and they were praying over the five loaves and the two fishes, they, they did not know what God was about to do. But certainly when they're carrying back full baskets, they must have said, this is God. Look what God can do. Look at the power. Look at the miracles. But the Bible says they did none of that. They were tired. They would have rather sent the people away. That was their plan. But they would have missed out on the power of God. And because they were tired, and because they had already zipped up their Bibles, and because they had already cashed out, they decided they weren't going to consider what God was doing anyway. And then when God worked next, it was a total shock to their system. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? When the work of God becomes commonplace. Look, if you will, in John chapter 6. I only have two points, so we'll be done quickly. John chapter 6. Notice what it says. This is, this is something that helped me understand this passage. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did to them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover of the Feast of the Jews was nigh. And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. And he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that they may eat? And this he said to the, uh, prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. And what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so they sat down in numbers about five thousand. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks he distributed the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would and when they were filled he said unto his disciples gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost therefore they, the disciples gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that he had eaten then those Men, which I always thought was the disciples... I thought it was making reference back to they. It was making reference back to the 12 disciples. But now reading Mark chapter 6, I believe differently. Notice what it says. Then those men, it is they that had sat down and eaten. In the end of verse 13, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. These people, for many of them, it was their first exposure to Jesus. They met him by hearsay, what people had been saying about him. And they came out in thousands to be healed and to have demons cast. Out And now the Lord Jesus Christ has healed them. And on their very first exposure to him, many of them said, this is that prophet. But the disciples considered it not. Isn't it sad that the ones that were walking with Jesus day after day, the others were in awe. But these were shocked that he could do such things. Listen. That's how sometimes things get commonplace. We begin to take the Lord for granted and we begin to say, well, there's another notch on the gospel gun. Another saved, yay. Listen, for 2,000 years, angels have rejoiced every time a soul got saved. I dare say they never get tired of it. We should never grow weary of the work of God. Their disregard of the miracle of the loaves and the fishes caused them to be surprised at the power of God when he walked on water. Let me help you notice the second thing, if you will. Turn back back to Mark chapter 6. And notice verse 52 once again. How does this happen? Number one, when the work of God becomes commonplace. Number two, when the heart of man becomes calloused. When the heart of man becomes calloused. In verse 52, it says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I looked up that word hardened. In the Greek, it literally means to be exposed to the same thing over and over and over to the point of developing a callous. That's where the word comes from. Overworked. Anybody here have calluses? Are we all city folk? We've got some farmers here that have some calluses. Go, go shake Ray Kirkwood's hand. It's sandpaper. Because he works with his hands. That's what calluses are. They build up, and in, in a physical sense, they're to protect us, right? A callus forms, and you won't get a blister next time, and it protects your hand from getting cut. It forms a hardness on your knuckles and in, in the palms of your hands, and it helps you. But a callous on the heart keeps you from realizing God's best. And The Bible says the reason they didn't consider the miracle of the loaves is because their hearts were hardened. Can you imagine coming back from a missionary journey? We've had folks here go on missionary trips and they come back and their heart's tender. I mean, at that moment, they're, they're excited about the work of God, but the, the disciples were just the opposite. They've been working and serving and they just got tired. And now they said, send them away. And their hearts were so calloused, they missed out on the work of God. To the point where it caused a shock in their life. Listen, commonplace leads to callousness. We have to somehow train our minds and our hearts to stop taking Christ for granted. When he does a work, even in a little one, he said, well, you know, they're pretty young. Hey, praise the Lord for it. And if you're concerned, why don't you disciple that child? Why don't you come alongside them and mentor them? Why don't you say, I'll sit with you in church. I'll teach you the gospels. I'll help you with the word. Instead of getting callous and putting our guard up, when we hear of a, a drunkard that is set free or a drug addict that's rescued, and, and why don't we rejoice with them? Instead of being calloused. When we hear of somebody that's healed. God miraculously reaches into a life and takes away cancer or takes away some other dreaded disease and we we are such a skeptical people and we're so cynical at times. Listen, don't let your heart be calloused for you'll miss out on the work of God. Here's the problem and here's my conclusion. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. What does this all lead to? In Matthew chapter 14, we have the parallel passage I'm just going to read two verses, and we'll be done. Look at verse, I'll tell you where we are. Peter has just walked on the water. They are returning to the ship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 32, And when they had come into the ship, the wind ceased. Look what it says. Then they that were in the ship came and what? Worshipped him, saying of a truth. Thou art the Son of God. Again, I read that and think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But when I read Mark chapter 6, I find out what kind of worship it was. They were worshiping Jesus with a calloused heart. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to church and just sang the hymns because everybody else is singing them? Have you ever come to church and just... Sat there in your place because if you don't, you'll get a phone call the next day out of obligation. Keep doing that ministry because nobody else is there to take it over. I've done my time. I'm finished. The disciples, in this very same moment that we read about in Mark chapter 6, Matthew records that they worshipped. They worshipped. But they did it with calloused, cold hearts. I'm not sure why the Holy Spirit didn't say they were Baptist. Sometimes that's how we feel, isn't it? Cold, calloused heart. Here's the problem God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. That is not worshiping in truth. It's the truth yeah. Amen. Their hearts were calloused, and they were praising God anyway. He said, Well, we ought to praise God anyhow. No, God desires worship in spirit and in truth. That was fake, phony worship because their hearts had been hardened. I'm not making that up. That's what the Bible says. They had hardened hearts. They were sore amazed beyond measure. Listen, you might say there are times that we should just keep worshiping no matter what. And I agree, we ought to worship God, don't get me wrong, but we ought to worship him in spirit and in truth. Listen, God has to do a work here before he can ever do it out here. Before our worship must be, can be public, it must be private. God must move in our hearts, because that's what true worship really is, is it's a response to what God is doing in our hearts. Thanking him for who he is, and we praise him for all that he does. I wonder sometimes if we're not guilty. I simply titled the message this morning, How Easily We Forget. And if nobody else here today is listening, I'm going to tell you I'm guilty of it too. I'm guilty of it all the time. God does the work in somebody's life, and I remember years ago, a fellow that I'd worked with in Port Dover for years, and, and uh, an older fellow, he was married, I was a teenager, and years later, there was a, I was preaching a missions conference in St. Thomas, and as I got there, Pastor Stone says, hey, there's a fellow here that knows you. He says he used to work with you as a teenager. I said, Who, who's that? And he says, his name is Chris. And I couldn't, I couldn't place the name. I, I, I knew I worked with a couple guys named Chris, and I, I couldn't replace his last name. And I said, okay, I, just, I, I can't picture who that might be. I said, that's been a long, long time now. And so when I got there, I recognized him immediately. And he told me how that... He had moved to Woodstock and started attending a church there and he accepted Christ as his Savior. Now he was working in St. Thomas and he had been baptized at Bible Baptist Church and was going to church there faithfully. And I and and I just, it broke my heart to think that I'd never told him about Jesus. But here's the other thought that occurred. I honestly thought this, and even said it to him. I never would have thought you ever would have got saved. I knew his lifestyle. I saw how he was. And in my heart, I thought, there's no hope for that guy. He'll never get saved. And when God saved him, I was utterly shocked. You might put it this way. I was sore amazed beyond measure. You say, why? Because I hadn't been faithfully considering what God was doing everywhere else. This is his world. He wants to work. He wants to save. He is not willing that any should perish. Let us not forget so easily. Let's bow this morning. Let's stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Jessica's going to get ready for baptism. I'll ask Pastor Paul if he would come. Or Pastor Cody, if you'll come. I think Pastor Paul's out today. God has spoke to your heart. The altar's open even now. Listen, when was the last time you just counted your blessings? looked at your life and said, no, that's, that's what God did. That wasn't by my own strength. That wasn't by my might. That was something that God did. Would to God that he would just move in our hearts and lives and stir us today to consider his many works. If you read the book of Psalms, that's, what's, that's what David did over and over again. He looked to the heavens, he looked to the stars to see the hands of God at work. He looked in the lives of his kingdom to see God working and moving and give thanks and praise over and over again for what God had done for him. Because if we're not careful, our hearts will get calloused. When God becomes commonplace, our hearts can be hard. And we'll be shocked when he really works in our lives.